0: Welcome to 3, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. I'm Gil Gross, host of Monday Match Analysis, with two outstanding tennis journalists, Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Later in the show, we'll discuss how health and injuries have impacted the big three. But first, let's tackle the biggest mystery in men's tennis right now. Will Rafael Nadal play the U.S. Open? Amy, uh, what's your
1: sense right now? My sense is that he wants to play it, he's defending champion, and he will be miserable if he doesn't play it. And there was a report that Uncle Tony said he was considering, strongly considering skipping it. And so everybody, of course, on tennis Twitter took that as word that he's going to skip and let's all plan like he's going to skip. But um, that's not a done deal, and uh, I really think that it would be hugely painful for him to do that. So it's like, I believe it when I see it.
0: I don't put all that much weight into what Uncle Tony said, but one thing that that is a, a fact is that Rafael Nadal plans on playing Madrid. Felizana Lopez tweeted that out, Nadal confirmed it. Madrid starts a day after final Sunday at the U.S. Open. So that's that's one move that, you know, it's indisputable. It's not gossip. It's not hearsay. It's Nadal has committed to playing Madrid. That, to me, is, is meaningful.
2: See, I'm a little with you, you on this, Gil. Even without Madrid, um, and granted, you know, we do this head-crawling, which is fun, but it's process-based. It's not just on these – we're not predicting an outcome as much as uh, – I think Nadal is massively ambivalent about playing the U.S. Open. I think he's massively ambivalent and leaning towards, I, I would think he's leaning towards not playing it and making a very thoughtful as he, again, I'm not, we're not predicting, but making a very thoughtful apology, but I think 34 years old, his, his body anyway, this timing of these events, uh, quarantine related things, testing, the TWA hotel, all of these factors tell me that he's not so keen uh, that a lot of European players, but him are are not so keen on trekking across to North America, uh, not playing any tournaments beforehand, or then does he play the Cincinnati beforehand, the Cincinnati in New York, which means he plays. That means he's three straight weeks of tennis followed by Madrid, followed by Roland Garros. I just not, I can't quite see that happening. At the same time, of course he would feel bad about missing it. But again, we, uh, We were in touch before about what we're calling a slam skippage.
1: Yeah. um, First of all, have you ever stayed at the TWA Hotel?
2: I have not stayed at the TWA Hotel.
1: It's one of the coolest hotels in the New York area. It's brand new, and it's right at JFK Airport, and it's got – retro theme I mean it is so cool it the players would actually love it and it's huge they can spread out there I don't know if that's in fact what they're planning but that's a great option Um, I just think as competitive as he is it is going to kill him not to defend there and the thought that Novak would be playing um, and he could get a leg up. Um, I don't know if you guys are giving Nadal uh, enough credit for his competitive spirit.
2: I know, I think, think he's, he's plenty competitive. I think he's plenty competitive. I think, though, this this leg up thing, I mean, you know, I recently wrote about this, about this whole slam tally and this whole goat crap, which I despise, but I don't think he's I get that, though. I get that, though. right, because then you can get into something very binary. It's like here, Novak, and Novak's going to win the U.S. Open. And Nadal won it last year. So there's, like I said, massively ambivalent. I'm not saying he's resolute. Um, If he'd lost in the first round of the U.S. Open, he might be less ambivalent because he'd want to show that he could do something again. But I think it's just – this is such a remarkable year in tennis and sports and the world. And I I don't know. I mean, I just it's just like at the same time, soon we'll be talking about um, people going to Europe. You know, the the French open field is going to look pretty wild. But again, let's get back to focus on Nadal. Gil?
0: There's a UTR event right now in Spain. Almost all of the top Spanish players are playing. No Nadal. That's another thing. Like, to me, that's telling. Novak Djokovic, he's been playing a lot of tennis. Dominic Team, Stefano Tsitsipas. You know, we have top players who are making sure – to get back on the court right now. And, Amy, I just feel like Nadal's competitiveness, I feel like that's on pause right now. He also has another side to him that's very, uh, you know, off the court, a little bit more conservative, perhaps, a little bit more modest. He's just not giving me the kind of signals that suggest that that he's ready to play the U.S. Open. And last time he actually spoke to reporters, granted it was early June, but he said uh, right now, Today, I would not travel to New York to play the U.S. Open. I mean, right, and
2: that's six weeks still. Yes. But Also, you know, we don't know. We don't. We. I still don't know what he's doing practice-wise. I mean, a UTR event, a UTR event, I'd still say is closer to a practice match than it is to a U.S. Open event.
1: Right, and and Madrid is also not really a slam. So I, I know the calendar's all crazy this year, but. Um, I just think that, you know, Newton's second law, an object at rest tends to stay at rest, an object in motion tends to stay in motion. If you pull back, and you say, I'm skipping this to manage my body and get myself ready for clay and all that, be careful what you wish for, because it's hard to pull forward again.
2: I think in these situations, though, it's very, it's, it's a whole different deal. I like this, though, you know, Amy, we've described you as our a- our social scientists Now we can just call you our scientist. You're <laughs> oh,
1: yeah.
2: you bringing Newton into this thing. Wow. A little, a little thermodynamics. Well, it's, that, it's
1: that homeschooling that I've been doing with my, my middle schooler.
2: Yeah. You're aware <laughs> of all the entropy and all those. Well, you've got those hardwood floors in your house and all those dust bunnies. So you've got to keep sweeping them. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just, I, 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 I'm, well, I'd be fascinated to see if Nadal doesn't, if he does that and he then goes back over to Europe and he wins. Let's say, let's say for fun, he wins both of them. That's unbelievable. That's incredible. That's that's more amazing than some things Borg used to do when he would win the French and then win Wimbledon. Whoever can win the U.S. Open and the French this year, that's a pretty
0: amazing feat. Dominic team yeah. said that would be impossible. Just so you know, he, he weighed in on that.
2: Dominic team, who has mm. played, who has played uh, various events on multiple surfaces already this time. You know, leave it to Dominic team. Yeah. In the time when there's no tennis, this guy's still getting the most tennis. I mean, yeah, gonna, the unbelievable. world
1: according to Dominic Team. I, I don't know. No, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna, slam and then
2: the world could disintegrate. The the world could turn into a crater, and there's going to be Dominic Team playing an event on the dark side of the moon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, let us bring it to history for a moment. Joel, I, I'll I'll plug your credentials for a second. We have a historian at large for the International Tennis Hall of Fame. When we're talking about slam skippage, this we've discussed this. It's kind of difficult to compare uh, this to any time in history, because the, uh, the whole kind of notion or connotation around slipping a, scam, a slam, rather, has evolved immensely throughout history.
2: That's right, Theo, because it's really the whole notion of, let's say, how would I call it, mandatory attendance at four slams, that doesn't really start to happen in a significant way until the 21st century. Um, even through the 90s, I mean, Andre Agassi, he didn't play the Australian for the first time until 1995. He'd been on the tour almost 10 years at that point. Um, the Australian and the French were somewhat lagging behind the other two majors for a number of years. The Australian doesn't get the, the full grade facility until 88 and really it's not until this century where we really start to get the whole idea of players pretty much being at all four majors. The surfaces are more homogenous. I think another underrated factor that's aided this is the 32 seeds. So the whole hospitable part of it, I, for example, the interesting ask someone like Pete Sampras, how he would have felt at Roland Garros knowing there were 32 seeds. That might've aided his little quest around Roland Garros a little different than knowing that he was gonna play one dangerous number 19 in the first round. So again, when we look at skipping slams, it's different meanings in different times.
1: Yeah, and and, uh, the curious case of Andre Agassi, because as you mentioned, he skipped the Australian for many years, and then he plays it and wins it, right, Joel?
2: First time he played it, yeah.
1: And then he also used to skip Wimbledon. I mean, I think he skipped it from 88 to 90. That's right. Um, And then that was the first slam he won. Right. So, I mean, my point here is um, just be careful if you're you know, looking to add to your tally is I really believe that the big three are because who doesn't want to be the best ever? Well, they want to um, add to
2: their tally, but it doesn't necessarily confer best everness. Who wants true, to be best ever?
1: true. That's just one metric, but it's a big one.
2: It's a metric, but it, you know, but the tally add, well, sure. I want to add to my tally. I mean, everyone wants, to, everyone wants to win more titles. So you're thinking of a chance to win them, but then you balance things. I mean, Yvonne Lendl made a notable skippage of the French Open in 90. And um, so he could get ready for Wimbledon. And he got to the semis for the second year in a row. And so whether it helped or didn't. On the other hand, he said, and I heard him talk about this, he got six weeks in of grass court training. And he played his best tennis on grass. And he beat John McEnroe in the Queens tournament leading up to Wimbledon. And then he lost in the semis of Wimbledon. But how well the person played, you know, this gets to some really interesting things. We see the results. We see a semi. We see when we don't necessarily know how well they played unless we watch all their matches. You know, they know how well they played. You know, they know, you know, I was busy coming back from France. I went to Wimbledon the first two rounds. I was rusty and kind of had to struggle more than I thought. But in this case, oh, I trained for six weeks on grass. I was ready to go.
0: Well, the most contemporary example is, is Federer from 2016 to 2018, skipping the French Open. And, you know, that's an attempt to preserve his body, to prolong his career. Do, do you think Agassi, who was really the first player to, to show incredible success well, well into his 30s and the early 2000s, I mean, you do wonder, is there a correlation between how well you manage your schedule and how long you're able to play?
2: Well, Agassi took off... Yeah, I guess he took off time in the middle of his career. It's funny. He wins the Australian Open the first time he plays it in 95. And then 97, he barely, he only plays one slam. You know, he's, he's like the guy who's taken off a lot of, a lot of semesters. And he's not, he's not like, Gil, like you, Gil. He's not taking a, a gap <laughs> or something so, because of a pandemic. He's just uh-huh. creating his own opportunity. I, I remember, though, when, uh, when Federer took those years off from France. Amy, didn't you write an article around that time saying why Federer should play the French?
1: Yeah, um, and didn't listen to me, did he, Joel? (laughs) Maybe Maybe
2: he did, but he just did what he wanted anyway.
1: Yeah, and it worked out for him. But um, I just, um, you know, here in Connecticut, I'm going to make a metaphor um, for those of us who play. Here in Connecticut, we play timed matches. And I won't go into the specifics of all this, but basically there are certain scenarios where you have to start tanking the second set and lose the second set so that you can get to the tiebreaker to try to win the match.
2: Like a football okay. team, like the football teams these days who, who give them their touchdowns so we can get our field goal?
1: Exactly. So it's kind of, yeah, becomes a, tennis becomes about clock management, which is really weird, but Every single time that this scenario has come up and that I've observed it, um, people who start tanking and start bringing it down cannot get it back, and they end up losing the match. So I, I just I'm a big believer in, and I think Nadal is as well. Wait, wait. Go so you're
2: comparing it. you're comparing not playing a slam <laughs> to get ready for a big one to. <laughs> Me and my buddies in our league matches kind of taking a dive for 24 minutes and not being able to bring it back for the 10-pointer. I just want to
1: – I just think that it's human nature that if you start bringing it down or pulling back, it's really hard to go full throttle again. But I don't
2: think they're pulling anything back. I think they're just pointing accordingly. You know, it's not it's, – it's, it's, I, 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 I'm pretty sure if Nadal plays the um, – does Not play the U.S. Open. I'm pretty sure he's not just uh going to the beach and having a uh, uh raising a honey deuce for, for his buddy <laughs> hey, he in New York for all you yeah. do.
0: I see where Amy's coming from. I think that Federer showed a lot more match toughness in 2019 and I think he was in a, a great rhythm play, playing that clay court season. I, I do think it helped him play, play better on the grass. That's How that's where he won Wimbledon.
2: How about in 17 when he skipped the French and won Wimbledon without losing a set?
0: It worked it, it worked that year. You couldn't argue with it that year.
2: Yeah, nineteen
1: 19- did, did that relate to an injury, guys, or was that just I'm resting?
2: Oh he no, he I think he intentionally he intentionally skipped, skipped the French those. Okay. Years, okay. He not he and I think I'm pretty sure he didn't play any clay court tennis. I mean he made some decisions and then last year. Worked out pretty well. You know, it's so interesting, these folks, it's like their bodies are such uh, Maseratis, you know, it's like right. Mm. They're such, they're so well tuned, and the decisions they make. It's it's fascinating to think about how how they manage. And you look at all these guys. It's, I mean, I remember early in his his career thinking, how's Nadal going to keep lasting? And then he's because of his technique. And here he is, 34. Yeah, right. And and, you know, and Novak, of course, is just completely precise. I mean, Novak, what he wakes up and he has his water and he calibrates everything he eats, and then Feder's got this technique. I mean. These guys have re- they're not only just rewriting the history books on slams they're rewriting the health and maintenance books.
1: Don't don't mention water when it comes to Novak.
2: Yeah, exactly. Don't mention water. <laughs> Bad
1: <laughs> analogy. Um, but no, envision this guys. Okay, the US Open is going on. Rafa is, you know, in Spain. There's really nothing else going on at the time that the US Open is going on. He's what trading. is he doing? He's practicing.
0: He's training on clay, and he's getting his body yeah. ready for a brutal three-week push that would be Madrid, Rome, and then Roland Garros. You can't Is possibly,
1: he watching? You can't possibly oh, go to the US tennis? Open. Yeah. Is he oh. watching? Yeah. I bet he watches some. Of course he's watching some. Yeah. And what effect will that have on him mentally?
2: That's going to be interesting. It depends. It depends. He's used the- to
0: it. He's been, he's been injured before. He, he knows this game. If anyone in the big three is going to come back after missing all this time during the pandemic, and maybe he takes off the, the hard court season too, if anyone's prepared to do that, and if anyone has repetition and practice in, in coming back from the training court onto the match court and being great right away, it's Nadal.
2: Oh, no, he's missing the hard court. He's not coming to North America to play D.C. You know, he's,
1: yeah, yeah. Play yourself, yeah.
2: yeah. No D.C., no Cincinnati. See you, North America. See you next year and uh Mm -hmm. and let's let's get it done on the clay and i just think
1: it's a slippery slope um because then he puts a lot of pressure on himself he's not injured that we know of so this isn't an injury break this is a i don't want to travel to the states because of the pandemic and you know by the way he does have the money to charter a private plane and all that but let's just say that he does stay home he puts a lot of pressure on himself to win the french again
0: I've been thinking in terms of body preservation. And I think yes. I think Nadal is – I mean, it, you all you got to do is take a look at his history of injury and how disproportionately he's had issues, especially with the knees and ankles, on hard courts and at Wimbledon. You know, I mean, he, he injured his wrist French Open 2016. Other than that, the lower body has been pretty reliable. That is not the case on hard court and Wimbledon, where he's missed the other three majors – Ah, uh, two times each, meaning he's been absent for them. So, uh, to me, it's a decision of look. We have a packed schedule, and I am not going to risk my body by playing, you know, hard courts. I'd rather just save it up for the clay and do what's best for my longevity.
2: Right, and so this longevity stuff is so interesting. How these guys manage, and again, we're in this four Slam era where in they the the travel, the pressure, even the very way the game is played. You know, it's, here's one for you. you. Go way back to like the, the pre-open era and the Australians would travel. Those guys were playing hard courts. Guess, guess, guess how many times a year they were playing hard courts. Zero. Like about two or three weeks a year when they played, came out to California. I think there were some in the Caribbean circuit and parts of the South, but mostly, certainly less than 10. And often two weeks a year, they would play on the, the hard courts that we're used to playing on in North America. So much grass, so much clay.
0: We are, we are running out of Zoom time. So when we come back on a new Zoom, let's get into the other two, Federer and Djokovic, and also a, a bit of Nadal. And let's unpack what injuries, health, and preservation of, uh, of the body have meant for their careers, respectively. Okay, we're back. A lot of this discussion has, has surrounded Nadal and his effort to preserve his body, whether or not he'll play in New York this August. Uh, let's talk about Djokovic and Federer, though, and we'll start with Novak. To me, I mean, he has been remarkably healthy, and, and that's been something that's, that's really been on his side for the most part. I think early in his career... He had some, some toughness issues. He, he withdrew sometimes when it was hot. One that comes to mind is when he was trying to defend his title at the uh, 2009 Australian Open and it got, you know, he, he withdrew against Andy Roddick. And then he had that, that elbow thing that put him out for the second half of 2017. But other than that, it's been remarkable how uh, injury free Djokovic has maintained.
2: Well, he just taught, he's just so efficient in how he takes care of himself. I mean, his, his fitness. I mean, this is state-of-the-art. I mean, things that Navratilova and Lendl started, he has just taken to a whole other level with the diet, the nutrition, the fitness. I mean, what, a, what an incredible – and right down to his tennis game. I mean, if you were showing someone now how today's game is played, you look at Novak and you see the things he's done. Now, he – it's funny, Amy, you talked about the whole thing of tally and numbers. Maybe in his mind, he's hatching. The it's like I'm going to blow him away. I won the Australian. I didn't play Wimbledon. I'm going to get a form of the Calendar Slam. I'm going to get the three-quarter Calendar Slam. I'm going to well, do.
1: I think it's just kind of with a reduced field. It's going to be easy pickings for somebody. Um, and I do think that all three of them are mindful of that tally. Um, and Novak may see this as a huge opportunity. Um, but it's funny that we talk about Novak being so healthy because in 2017, people were saying, is he done? Is he ever going to, you know? So he's reinvented himself so many times.
0: Let's tie the, tie the bow on this with uh, the final member of the big three that, that we haven't really discussed in terms of, of health and, and injuries, although we did touch on him naturally um, earlier. Roger Federer who is, of course, billed as the ageless wonder. And, and one, of the, one of the things that are, that's attached to his legacy is the fact that he's never retired mid-match, at least on, on a tour level, which is uh, still really, really mind-blowing to me, Joel. You talk about the impressiveness of going city to city. The fact that Federer has never called it quits mid-match is, is insanity.
2: That is amazing, and it speaks obviously well to his training, but most of all to his technique and his overall tranquility. I mean, you know, this guy, you, you've, you've hung around him and seen him enough around tournaments to see how, how downstream he goes, how he's, you don't see him fighting anything ever. You see whether it's the, the practice or the matches or the press conferences or the, the times when there are these media days where he has to do a lot of interviews. He's just going he's – got, he's got no – Worries about time. It's kind of like gets right down to how he plays the game. You know, you see this guy has no. There's never fighting anything. So, so maybe that's allowed him to be so, uh, you know, what sustainable and have such longevity and stay healthy. And and so I I think that's a a neat little. That's a neat little stat. And who knows? Maybe it'll happen sometime. That'll that'll happen to him. But and now look. So now he's taking. Now he's he's off completely for 21. That's it. No tennis. No more.
0: Yeah, it makes it pretty simple for Federer, but that gets to the fact that increasingly, uh, he he has had some some health issues, and I think sure. twenty thirteen yeah. yeah, but uh, twenty thirteen was a was a rough year with the back. He didn't play well that year, and then starting in twenty sixteen, it's been mostly the knee, which he had surgery on after the Australian Open, pulls out of Rome, skips the French, and then after losing to Raonic at Wimbledon in sixteen, he he ends that year. to to rehab his knee fully and comes back, (laughs) comes back uh, back. and wins Australia. So
2: yeah. And Wimbledon and eventually regains the number one ranking for a little bit, but outside of that, pretty, pretty ordinary. Yeah. Well,
1: we should all be doing what Roger's doing and let's not forget that the knee was first injured bathing his children, not playing tennis.
2: Well, but the knee, I mean, these injuries that, that was the cited occurrence. But I'm sure, I'm sure there was a little, I'm sure there's a little wear and tear. You know, it kind of reminds us like the joke, not the joke, but when a when person gets injured skiing, it was my last ski run and I broke my leg. Well, yeah, of course it was your last ski run. You broke your leg. So it's different that it's like, I mean, don't you think, Amy, there are some other things? Uh, that,
1: unless you're like my friend, and I, this happens often on the ski slope, and somebody skied into her. I mean, that's kind of the equivalent, right? I mean, uh, you know, he, Roger, he got sure hurt it. off the tennis court.
2: I'm sure there were some things that were affecting his knee before he was in the bathtub with his children. Don't you think?
1: I, I don't know. I don't think that's ever been acknowledged.
2: No, but look, he, there's still a lot of wear and tear on the body. I mean, yes. that's why I think the, the genius in the Federer camp is the physical trainer. I mean, that's the like guy yes. said, when, when there was a chance, when they were saying you could only bring one person, I was thinking like the godfather, um, uh, leave the coach, take the physio. Take
1: yeah. The physio. Yeah, well, um, a young um, junior who's an amazing player asked me the other day about jump roping. You know, do do I think it's a good idea to jump rope or, you know, who jump ropes? And I said, well, Roger Federer jump ropes. I mean, I don't know why we all don't just watch exactly what he does and do that. Because
0: we all have different bodies. I'm it's pro jump
2: different rope. And different disciplines.
1: <laughs> You're pro jump rope. <laughs>
0: pro jump rope for me.
1: Yep. I think jump
2: roping is great too, but uh, you know all these things have to be managed, You know, just so whether it's weights or all this yes. stuff, anyway.
1: Yes. And, and his chronological age is there. I mean, there is another year added on to that age. So that, that means something.
2: Well, less miles, but then it reminds me of like, a, like the car mechanic said to me, just because you don't drive it as much, you still need to have the oil chains sometimes
1: good analogy
2: sometimes sometimes that's right but not as often because you know like someone said to me wow all this time this time off of this pandemic you think maybe federer is getting older then he might be more likely to retire i said no he's less likely to retire he's relaxed he's less likely to retire he's not good point nothing has nothing has strained him
0: agreed i mean these guys the 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 odometer is not ticking right now i mean father time is ticking but not the odometer so i i agree with you joel i don't i don't think these guys are getting that much older in reality as they're uh, as they're rehabbing at home or not rehabbing but staying fit working out and not playing brutally physical tennis matches right well this has been great you know injuries um health they they've all played a role in Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic's career, and with the U.S. Open, a big decision coming up for Rafael Nadal. We'll see how it plays out. We really appreciate all the feedback that we got after episode one of three. Um, that is always interesting to say, but um, yeah, it was really great, and we always appreciate if you subscribe. Already over 100 subscribers on YouTube. We're working on getting on iTunes. If you want to listen on audio, we are available on Spotify, Um, Again, Joel, Amy, thank you. We'll see you next time, next week for the next episode of Three.